Well, good morning. Good morning. As you can see, uh, Pastor Steve is not here. He's out of town this uh, this weekend. In fact, the whole weekend is kind of uh, different people in in different places. Uh, Jay Street has the morning service. David Grant has the evening service. I've got the combi- this combined Sunday school, and Grant Oldweiler has BTI. So uh, we're kind of all in a different place today. So bear with us, and we will get through it. Um, this morning, my class is in in First John. Uh, we we uh, are almost to the point we're going to wind down. In fact, next week will be probably will be our last uh, our last lesson in First John. <clears throat> and then uh, then I will be off for two weeks. Uh, but uh, uh, well, uh, we we have a wedding one of those weeks. So. <laughs> And the other week, uh, we have a missionary coming uh, on the 21st. So, so they just kind of have a, an idea of where we are and what's going on. So this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 John uh, chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. And it, this, this, this section of, of John, this particular section of John is, 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 if you will, the divine witness of who Jesus Christ is, which is the... Uh, the theme that runs throughout this book is Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is both divine and he is both human. And, and uh, in fact, the text says, if you don't believe that, you're not a believer. Bottom line. That's, that's the bottom line with John. Uh, that This is the fundamental and most important thing you must believe in John's writings. Uh, the, the, the section that we're concluding today, uh, 6 through 12, uh, began in chapter 4, verse 7, and it basically was a chapter, in fact, I think we were just beginning that chapter the last time I was in here with a combined class, uh, but at any rate, it, it, it was a, it's a chapter that deals, with, that deals with love, and it's, of course, the love that it deals with is agape, it is the God love, the God that places value on somebody regardless of their worth. And uh, uh, it's, it's that kind of love. And the whole chapter flows out of that love. I had planned to do a quick review because we've been off for a couple of weeks before. Uh, last week uh, was not intentional. The week before was, was planned. But uh, last week uh, we had a series of house disasters. And so uh, we were at home cleaning up a mess. Uh, but at any rate, at any rate... Uh, uh, I was going to do a little bit of a review. Like I said, the four, uh, chapter, <clears throat> chapter 7, 7 through 21, in particular, focuses on agape love. Uh, chapter 7 calls believers uh, to love one another, which is a demonstration that they have then been born of God. Chapter Verse 8 uh, says, says that God is love, and the, the, uh, the idea is then that we are to reflect that love. That's, that's part of what he teaches there about love. Uh, chapter uh, verse nine uh, says the ultimate demonstration of of God's love is the, and 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 it's why we live is is that He sent His Son. Uh, he did that because of His love for us, even though we didn't love Him at the time. That's that uh, that was uh, uh, the the idea there. And He goes on to say, and that Jesus then made propitiation, or He made peace with God for us. Chapter uh, verse eleven. I keep wanting to call them all chapters. They're verses, so if I make that mistake, bear with me. Uh, he, uh, <clears throat> he gives the reason for this love, and it says, because it is an essential part of God's nature, God is love. That's, 
That's the idea there. Um, and then it, it says uh, that God's love is seen in us through our love for one another. That's, that's the distinguishing mark of believers, the love of, of fellow believers. And then he, he, go, he goes on in verse, uh, in verse 13, and he says, that love for one another is the reason that uh, it gives evidence that we abide, that is, we are at home with Jesus, with God, with the Holy Spirit. And he says, in the, and, and the Holy Spirit was given as a gift to us to ensure that. And then he goes on and he calls, he calls, uh, he calls on us to be a witness that Christ is the Savior. That witness is by confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's a repeated theme through this whole section. He uses that title, Jesus Christ, the human name, the divine, the divine position as Messiah, and then is the Son of God, be, begotten, not created. That's, that has to be, uh, be remembered as we go through that. Uh, the love, and then he says that the love of God is in us, and, we, and that, is a, that is demonstrated by the fact that we abide, that we are, that we are at home. Literally, that's what abide means. Uh, we stand confident. And he goes on, the result of this is we can stand confident in the day of judgment. And in fact, he goes on to say in the next verse that we have no fear of judgment because we've been passed from it is the, is the idea there. So there, we have no reason to fear facing God. That's, that's, that's another part that he goes into in, this, in, that, in that, that whole section on love. And he goes on and he says, our, our love for God is a result of God's love for us, and it is also the reason for brotherly love. And he says, if the absence of brotherly love is seen in someone, you can label that person an unbeliever. That's, that's flat out what he says. He's an unbeliever. And then in, in, in 5, 1 through 12, he, he, begins, he begins a series where he uses the word believing, and that you could say believing and equals faith. You could use the, the words interchangeably with John, but he uses the word believing. Uh, and he, and he, he says, uh, the person who believes in the person of who Jesus Christ is, is born of him. In verse 1 and 2 and 3, he says, he says the result of, of being born of him, of, of believing, is that we keep his word, and that, domi- uh, that demonstrates God's love in us. And then as we get to 5, verse 5 is the transition verse into the text we'll be in this morning, where he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the one who gives new birth loves also the ones who have been born of him. There he says flat out, uh, if, you, if, um, <clears throat> if you believe in Jesus, Jesus is the Christ. That's the focal point. You believe he is the Messiah. You believe he is the one who paid the penalty for your sin. Uh, and and in believing that, you believe that he is the divine person of the Son. He's, he says, you have been born of God. That's, that's where you reside. That's where you have your fellowship. And he says, and everyone who loves the one who gave the new birth loves also the ones who have been born of him. In other words, you, won't, you love your brothers and sisters. That's, that's a family picture that he puts there. And that's the transition into where we will be in 6 through 11, uh, because verse he goes on in verse five uh, to, uh, to tell us that we are uh, the one who overcomes the world because he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's that's the idea uh, that he that he wants us to understand there. That that becomes an overcomer, the one who's put his faith. If you are a Christian, you are an overcomer. The two are equal. That that's the idea that he he expresses there. And then he bridges to verse six and he gives a basis for believing is that we have a sure witness. 
That's, that's the picture he's going to be here. Testimony or witness, the words are interchangeable. And that's where we'll be going as we come into the text this morning. So if you'll join with me, we'll take just a moment and, and have a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning as we, as we come to this text in, in 1 John. Uh, and Father, for those of us who have put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, we do declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, that's, that's the anthem that runs through these verses. That's John's theme. He wants us to know that to, and to be assured in that. And that having known that, we know that we are then born of God and loved by God and peace has been made for us through Jesus Christ. And Father, we don't know how to even begin to thank you for that other than to praise, to love one another, uh, to reflect your grace in our lives so that others might see you through us. And Father, we would just ask that that would be the case this morning. We ask that your spirit, whom is the seal and, and, and guarantee of our salvation, uh, would lead us and guide us in the study today, would open our eyes to understand your word, and that you, your name would be blessed. For we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Okay, so... As we come then into verse 6 of chapter 5, it reads this. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with water only, but with water and with blood. It is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. So we have here a threefold witness in verses 6 through 8. And he he begins by saying, this is the one who comes, the one. Uh, The way this is structured, the way this, this comes across... It could say it this way. It's emphatic. The one and only. That's, that's the idea here. He's the one. No other. There is no other. He is Jesus, the Son of God, from verse 5. That's what he's talking about. He's going to go on to say that as well. It points to Jesus Christ, and he's emphatic. The one, no other. This one is the Son. And he goes on and he says, who came? Uh, the way that is structured is it's a fact of history. That's what it's saying here. This is a fact of history. Jesus did come. That's, that's the, the idea he, wants, he wants, to, uh, wants to express here. The Son of God took on human flesh. He was incarnate. That's the idea here. The eternal Son embraced, uh, embraced a human nature without sin through the virgin birth. That's, that's what's being, being, being spoken of here, the historic coming of Jesus at his, at his birth. He, didn't, he, did not come, uh, he did not come into existence at birth, for he existed from eternity, John 1, 1 through 2, uh, but he was born into this world through, through a virgin. That's, that's the idea that's being expressed here. He's, it's speaking of the, of, the, of the historical fact of Jesus' birth. And he goes, he, and then it, 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 he uses the word by as, a, as, as, a, uh, as the instrumentality. He says, that birth was by water and by blood. Now this is a phrase that, uh, the water part of it at least, that a number of various commentators have a couple of different ideas about. Uh, some have contended that it speaks of his literal physical birth uh, when he was born in the manger in, in Bethlehem. Uh, and that's a possibility. Uh, that's, that's a real possibility. That would, that would fit to a certain extent. Uh, some, other, some others take it to be the crucifixion, because when the centurion stuck his spear in his side, out came water and blood. 
that doesn't really fit what the context is all about. Uh, that's true, but it probably doesn't fit the context here. And it certainly isn't the witness that John is, John is expressing here. And the, the third, uh, a third one is, is that it's uh, representative of the Lord's table. That one really doesn't fit at all. Uh, that's probably the least likely of any of the three. The most likely of those three is, it's, it is, is that it would be his physical birth. But yet there is another, and this is probably what John is talking about, and this is what fits the context best. It's speaking of his baptism. It's speaking of the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus Christ, because it's at that moment his ministry as the Christ, as the Messiah, began. Uh, he, he, that's, that's the idea here. It says, it, 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 uh, Matthew 3, 5 tells us that that was the beginning when Jesus went to be baptized by, by <clears throat> John the Baptist, he, he, he made the indication that, that John was to permit that baptism because John recognized who he was. He knew he had no sin. He knew he had no reason to be baptized for the remission of sin, but he was being baptized to identify with us. And he, he basically tells John, you've got to permit this. That's my paraphrase. And, and John does permit it. He, he baptizes him. So this is the picture, I think, that we're looking at here. This is, this is where the ministry, his public ministry of teaching, healing, uh, deliverance, and miracles all began at his baptism. And so I think that's where we, we need to go with this one. So, so John is saying here, that is a witness. What happened at that moment at his baptism when John saw him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That whole idea, and we'll talk a little bit more about this as we go on, but, but nevertheless, that's the beginning of his public ministry. And that's, what, that's what, where the focal point is here. And then he, then he goes to the blood. That's the other end of his ministry. That's the crucifixion, his death, uh, <clears throat> and the miraculous events that accompanied it. You understand, one of the... I, probably should have said this in the introduction for those of you who are not in our class normally. The underlying heresy that is floating through the Christian church in the day that John wrote, and John is the last living apostle, and this is late in the, late in the first century A.D., and, and there's the beginnings of a, of a heresy that will bloom into a big to-do in the second, third centuries, and, 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 it, and it exists today. Every cult you ever dealt with are a part of this. Uh, they just don't know it, but uh, it's called Gnosticism. And one particular branch of Gnosticism believed that, that this guy named Jesus, who was born of, of human, who was born a natural human birth by natural human parents, Joseph and Mary, that this guy, the Spirit of God came on him, indwelt him as the Christ until the crucifixion and left before he died, because, because obviously God couldn't die. That, that was the idea uh, that the Gnostics taught. This is a refutation of that doctrine, of, of, of that, uh, excuse me, of that heresy of the Gnostics. Because John is telling us here, he in fact did die. That's the point. He began his public ministry at his baptism, and he died on the cross. That's, that's the 
that's the thrust that he's wanting us to understand here. And, it, and that death was accompanied by some amazing events. There was three hours of darkness, Matthew, Matthew 27, 45. The temple veil that was rent from top to bottom in Matthew, Matthew 27, 51. Um, the many spirits who were raised from, uh, excuse me, the many saints that were raised, raised from the dead and who entered the city. Uh, Matthew 27, 51 through 53. And, then, the, and then, then, of course, we have Jesus' own words from the cross as he gave up his spirit and passed. He said, it is finished. Which prompted the Roman centurion in Romans 27, 54, truly this was the Son of God. Which then refudiates this one branch, which is called Serinthian Gnosticism, that, that a spirit couldn't die. That 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 God couldn't die. That was the idea uh, that was permeated here. So so these first two witnesses are the fact of his ministry and the fact of his death. Those are the first two witnesses that he that are called to account here uh, that that put put credence to our faith. And then it, and once again, and he uses this throughout the uh, throughout the uh, text. He he calls him Jesus Christ. He is the one, the only one. He is the designated one person to whom this applies. And he uses Jesus in his humanity and he uses Christ in his divinity. And then he goes on and he says, he goes on and he says, not by water and blood, uh, not, by, not by water only, but with the water and with the blood. Uh, once again, the Gnostics claim that the Christ couldn't experience death. And John's point is, is Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal God. He began his, uh, his ministry when he was baptized, and he completed it when he shed his blood, and he died on the cross. Those are, those are the points John is saying. He's saying, this is a witness to us. And then he goes on, and he gives the third witness. And he says, it is he... It, 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 Get to the text here. It is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is, is the truth. That's what he's saying here. He goes on and he says, the Spirit testifies because the Spirit is truth. In John chapter 15, verse 26, uh, John told, his, uh, told his, um, his disciples, he said, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father... He will bear witness of me. This is exactly what Jesus is saying here. The Spirit bears witness. The Spirit is truth, and he bears witness of Jesus as to who he is. He bears witness of his birth and his conception in Matthew one twenty one, Luke one thirty five, and 2.25-32. His baptism in Matthew 3.16 and Luke 3.22. His teaching in John six sixty three, his ministry in Luke four one and eight and eighteen, and then there is the continual work of the Spirit today, in convicting and drawing and bringing people to Christ, and then indwelling them and, and securing us in our salvation and illuminating us to understand the Scriptures. All of this is the work of the Spirit, and that's what, that's what Jesus is saying here. And he says, because the Spirit is truth, the, the idea, the Spirit, who is the truth, testifies uh, because of his identity with the truth in Jesus. Jesus and the Spirit are the essence of truth. Uh, John fourteen six says that Jesus is truth. And we know from John seventeen seventeen that the Word of God is truth. 
So ultimately, we have the testimony of the triune God here, truth, uh, the truth of who Jesus is, which is kind of interesting because the next verse we come to is a controversial one, not in your current modern English translation because they took out the controversy. Uh, but uh, verse, uh, verse 7, for, these three, uh, for there are three that bear witness. And actually, it should just continue reading. It should read 7 and 8. For there, for there are three that bear witness, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three are in agreement. And that's where it ends. However, if, if you're a KJV fan or a new, a new King James fan, you're going to find that in your text it reads, For there are three that record in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. or the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. In other words, there is a, tr- a trinity statement that is, uh, that is in, the, uh, in the King James. Um, in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, uh, and they bear witness on the earth. That's, that's ultimately what is there. It's not found in any Greek New Testament before the Middle Ages. And then it's only found in four. And when Erasmus was putting together his Greek New Testament, which became the fifth, to have this writing in it, which is the Textus Recepticus, which is the text which the King James was translated from, uh, those words were put in. Uh, Erasmus had some misgivings about doing it, but he did do it. So it worked its way into the, the New Testament. But this is not a, this, this is as your LSV or the EVS or the New American Standard, all of those don't include these words. In fact, the New King James makes a footnote that, that there's only five manuscripts that have those words in them. And they're all late ones. They're all from the Middle Ages. So, so just know that if you use those texts, that, that this text should read just the way it reads, it reads in the LSV. For there are three that bear witness, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. Incidentally, I think in that day when they were writing this, there was, there was debate and heresy about the Trinity, so they thought, well, this is a good idea. Uh, but we don't base the Trinity on that text. Uh, we don't need it. In fact, it's right here. Uh, through this whole text, we have the witness of the spirit, the blood, the water, and God the Father. And Jesus. So the triune God is, is within this text without that. So, so if you run across that, that's, that's why it's there, and that's, that's what it's about. But he says these three bear witness, the spirit, the water, the blood, and these three are in agreement. In other words, what he has done here is he has given us exactly what the Old Testament requires for witnesses. Uh, the Old Testament required that at the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be established, Deuteronomy 19.15. And that's what he's doing here. He's giving us multiple witnesses. I don't know if you've ever been a witness in court, but that's the picture here. It's a court, and, and they're called to witness to the truth. That, that's the idea. Uh, Kathy and I uh, uh, one time witnessed a criminal act, and we wound up having, having to go to court. And it was kind of interesting because it the guy plea bargained, and we didn't have to testify. But, but the interesting thing was the district attorney, not the district, yeah, the district attorney wanted to 
just kind of wipe this away and let the guy plea bargain down to a lesser, lesser, uh, a lesser, uh, a lesser crime. And the lesser crime <clears throat> would have meant this guy had the opportunity because the police had to, he resisted and the police had to take him down. And they took him down hard, but not too hard. It took him about three seconds. Uh, but uh, but uh, uh, he would have had opportunity to p- sue those police officers had, had the district attorney done what he wanted to do. It made her mad. And she says, I don't care how many times we have to come. We're going to testify to what happened. And he had two witnesses, and he went back, and the guy, the guy's, guy pled guilty. <laughs> and they, they did it from there. But it's, that's the idea here. You know, if there would have been no witnesses, this guy would have got away with it. But because there were witnesses, and there were multiple witnesses, he didn't. Now, that's, that's, that's the point here. And that's what he's calling us to. That's the picture of this court. He's brought three witnesses to us. Jesus' ministry, his death, and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the idea. And it's the Holy Spirit who testifies to, the, to, to all of this. And he goes on to say, uh, and, and then keep in mind here too, you might say, well, well, wait a minute. How does blood and water testify? Well, it's evidence. The evidence testifies. That's, that's the point here. He's, he's presented evidence and, 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 liter- and uh, vocal testimony as the idea behind it. In fact, if you go back in the, in the Semitic uh, understanding of a court of law, impersonal objects can testify. Genesis 31, 40, uh, 48. At the time, Jacob and Laban made a, made a covenant together. They they piled up a pillar of stones, and it says in the text that pillar of stones is a witness to their to their contract. That, that's the idea uh, that's being there, uh, and that's what he's saying here. He's saying these three stand together as testimony to who Jesus Christ is. That's 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 the idea. Vincent, in his commentary, put it this way: he said they converge upon the one truth: Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh. This is what the Gnostics denied. Incidentally, it's what every cult denies. And then he goes on. Alfred, he, he says in his commentary, he says, concur, uh, concur in the one, contribute to one, and the same result, namely, the truth that Jesus is the Christ and that we have life in him. That's, that's the idea here. That's what verse 6 is telling, verse 6, 7, and 8 is telling us. This is the witness. Jesus is the Christ. And we have three witnesses that testify to that. But we not only have three, we have another witness. We have, <clears throat> excuse me, we have God the Father as a, as a witness, verses 9 and 10. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness about his Son. The one who believes in the Son has this witness within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness which God has bore witness about his son. So he says here, here we have now another witness. We have the divine witness of God the Father. And, and, and in fact, without Erasmus' addition, we have the triune, the triune God uh, uh, identified here. We have the Son, we have the Spirit, and now we have the Father included in this. Uh, the Spirit is testified, God is testified, and Jesus is the one is whom this testimony is all about. He says, if we receive, incidentally, this is in a maybe. 
Uh, the way this is construct, uh, constructed, it's called a conditional participle, but it's one that is one in which the condition has been filled. In other words, this happened. It's not if this happens, maybe it could happen, maybe it did happen. It's when it does happen, or since it happened, is the idea here. Uh, this, this is a fact. It's viewed as a fact uh, that, uh, that, we, that we receive the witness of men. And, of course, we do. We receive the witness of men all the time. Uh, you, can, you, can credit, you can take it as credible or uncredible, but you receive the witness of men. And, and that's the idea. We receive the witness of men. <clears throat> and here, you, here it just assumes that that is the fact, uh, that you, we receive the witness of men. And receive is, is to take or appropriate. And here, receiving the testimony is the act of appropriating to ourselves as something to be depended upon as truth, according to Wiest in his commentary. That's, that's the idea here. We've appropriated this witness. We've accepted this witness. We've received it, uh, is the idea here. If you were on a jury, it means you believed the witnesses about the event that occurred. And that's, that's the idea here. And he says, he says it's the witness of God. So it's one of those cases where he's gone from the lesser to the greater. If you believe men, you must believe God. That's, that's the idea here. Who is the essence of truth. Uh, once again, John 17, 17, thy word is truth. <clears throat> here the, the emphasis is on, on the credibility of the one testifying. And, and it is the credibility of God that is being spoken of here. Uh, it, is, it is a testimony of much greater weight. John chapter 5, verses 32, uh, 32 to 37. <clears throat> John wrote, There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has bore witness of the truth. But the witness I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He has a lamp that is burning and shining, and you are willing to, uh, willing to rejoice while there is light. But the witness I have is greater than the witness of John. For the work which the Father has given me to finish, the very work that I do bears witness about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he bore witness of me. For you neither heard his voice, nor have you time has seen his form. The idea here is Jesus is declaring that God bears witness of the work he does. He bears witness of who Jesus is. That's, that's, what, that's what John is declaring here in John 5. He's declaring that Jesus, that God is Jesus' witness. And he says... The witness is this, and he, he says, here is the witness. He bore witness about his son. This is the witness that he, that he, he, um, he, that he bore about his son. And, and verse 10 will tell us what that witness is. Uh, that, witness, uh, that witness came in Matthew 3.14 that the voice of God at his baptism. It came again in Matthew 17.5 at the, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the transfiguration. It came again when Jesus entered Jerusalem in full, in full um, uh, fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah nine nine in John twelve twenty eight, he came exactly as God said he would come. So in all of these, these are just three examples of witnesses of 
of, of Jesus. But John makes, it makes, makes a clear, positive statement. Uh, and he, then he, he is going to follow it with an equally clear negative statement. He says, here is the testimony of God. The one that believes in the Son of God has this witness within himself. In other words, if you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you believe what God has said, that he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin. And because of his sacrifice, his vicarious substitutionary death on the cross, you have been saved. You have been redeemed. You have been bought out of the slave market. You have been justified before God. Your sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. You are, are at peace with God. All of those things and a whole bunch more. All of those things have happened. That you, that's where you are. That's what, that's what he's saying here. He that believes the Son has this witness within him because he's given you also the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who bears witness of who Jesus is with our spirit who, and tells us that we are indeed the children of God. That's, that's, that's what he's wanting us to understand here. That's the, and that's the central message of John 1 through 12. Uh, uh, chapter 5, 1 through 12. That's the central message. Jesus is the Christ, and we are in him, and he is in us, and the Spirit testifies to that. That's, that's the idea he wants us to, 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 to understand. It's a lasting, active, uh, <clears throat> it's lasting and active power within, within the believer. For, uh, look back at 4.10. In 4.10, Jesus wrote, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. He made peace. And in uh, 5, 1 through 7, we're told we have been born of him, making us his children is the idea there. Uh, This faith is a constant bond between the son and the believer. It's not broken, John chapter 10. Uh, Can't be taken out of the hands of the father and you can't be taken out of the hands of Jesus. And not only that, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Basically, you have to break the whole power of the triune God to, to lose your salvation. That's, that's the point he's trying to make here. Uh, we are constantly bond with the Son of God. And John states that faith is believing in the Son of God. That's the idea in this preposition. It means the believer uh, puts his full trust and confidence in, in Jesus, the Son of God, for his salvation, and that the believer has accepted the testimony which God has given through the Spirit and that he has given about his Son. John chapter 3, verse 33. John wrote, He who has received this, his witness has set his seal upon on this, that God is true. Romans chapter 8. Verses 14 to 16. For as many are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For they have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifying with our spirit that we are the children of God. Uh, That's the picture he's wanting us to understand. That's the positive. Uh, That's the positive response. That's the... the, uh, uh, the positive view here that if we we uh, if we re- receive the witness of God and believe that He is the Son of God, that's where we are. We're children of God. 
And then he goes on. He goes on and he gives the negative statement. And, and, oh, excuse me. Uh, this, this external witness then becomes the internal witness is what he's, what he's telling us here in this part, uh, part of, our, of, our, of the believer's life. And then in the second part of this, he gives the negative. And he gives the negative side of this. He says, look, if you, if you believe, this is where you are. You're a child of God. You're born of God. Your sins have been forgiven. You have peace with God. However, the one who does not believe God makes him a liar because he does not believe the witness which God has bore witness about his son. In other words, what he's saying here is if you don't believe the testimony God gave about Jesus Christ, the testimony of the word of God, you don't, te- you don't, you don't believe the witness you hear uh, about Jesus Christ. If you reject that, you're basically saying God has lied. That's, that's what you're saying. You're saying God is a liar. There is, no, there is no other ground. There is only two sides to this coin. Either you believe or you don't believe. There's no middle ground. People claim to be agnostics. They don't know. They don't believe. They're not believers. That's the point. I had a friend who, uh, I don't suggest this as a witnessing tool. Maybe so. But at any rate, he, he ran into a guy and he, was wit- he wanted to try to witness to this guy. And the guy told him he was an ag- agnostic. And my friend looks at him and he goes, oh, so you're, how did he put it? I just lost my train of thought. Anyway, anyway he, says, he, says, he, says you're an, he said he was an agnostic. And he says, oh, so you're ignorant. He says, now let me fill in your ignorance and started to testify of Jesus Christ. I don't know that that's really a good way to approach it, but he did it. But that's the idea. Agnostic just, just is basically an unbeliever who doesn't want to admit it. That's, that's all there is to it. Uh, but that's the idea here. The emphasis is about, the, uh, uh, about who gave this testimony. And as we already read, it's God himself who gave the testimony. And to reject it is to just say, God lied. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, man has no other option here. He cannot take it or leave it without an obligation. That's the bottom line. You either receive the testimony as the truth as authoritative, or you reject it and you continue to make God a liar. Chapter 1, verse 10 of 1 John, John wrote, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. The idea here is if we have no accountability before God for sin and we declare that we don't, we're calling God a liar because God says the opposite. Here again, he is saying if we don't receive the testimony about Jesus Christ, we're calling God a liar. The rejection of God's word is deliberate unbelief, and there is no middle ground. The Gnostic teachers, teachers said that they believed God, but they rejected Christ's birth and death. They rejected his divinity. They were non-believers. They didn't believe in God. They called God a liar. That's, that's the idea here. <clears throat> and Basically, John is saying they are personally responsible for their rejection. They're held accountable for their rejection. The unbeliever's sin in all of this is that he has intentionally refused to believe God's testimony about the Son, and he arrogantly denies that the Father and the Son are one. 
those two things mark an unbeliever. They mark every cult that uh, exists on the earth today. And they all stem from that one thing, a denial of the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot say you have faith in God and reject God's testimony about the Son. That's, that's the bottom line here. And then he goes on from there, and he says, here, here, are, here, here are the results, the results of this witness. And he concludes with verse 11 and 12. And the witness is this, that God gave us eternal life, and that this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. That, that's the bottom line here. That's what he's telling us. Here's where we are. John concludes with this thought in the, con, uh, in the context of testimony uh, so that there is no misunderstanding. He says, God has given us eternal life. The us is believers. He says, well, he, he has given us eternal life. It's written in the past tense. It means it's a current possession. It doesn't happen when you die. It happened when you were born again. When you were born again, you received eternal life. Yes, you're still in this physical body. Yes, this physical body is going to continue to decay, as, as many of us well know. Uh, it's going to continue to decay, and it, it will eventually cease to exist. But you will not. That's, that's what this is saying. You will not. Because when that happens, as Paul told us, we will be in the presence of the Lord. That's where we will be. And, 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 and he, he, he goes in, and in John three seventeen he wrote this. By this, love has been perfected in us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because, because, he, uh, because as he is, so also we will be in this world. That, that's the point here. Uh, when, it, when, it come, when that time comes, when we face Jesus, we have confidence. We'll stand firm before him. That's the idea. He wants us to understand. <clears throat> we, uh, we will be able to, we will, we, will, we, will ha- we will have him fully when we enter his presence in glory. And this life is in his son. 2.23, he wrote, John wrote, Everyone who denies the Son does not have the Father, but he who confesses the Son has the Father also. That's where our life is. 2 John John verse 9, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. That's, That's our position. The point is, faith in God is believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. That's what faith in God is. Anything less is unbelief. That's, that's what John wants us to understand here. And then in verse 12, he goes on to say, uh, this one God who has given us eternal life and the life is in his son, says he who has the son has life. If you have Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. If you, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you have been born of him, you have eternal life. That's, that's the bottom line here. He who does not have the Son does not have that life. It doesn't exist in them. Oh, they will exist eternally, yes, 
but they will not have life. Because life here speaks not just of duration, it speaks of quality. That we have the life of God in us. Those who do not have the life of, if you will, it sounds contradictory, but it's, it is the truth, you have the life of death, continual dying for eternity. That's, that's the picture. That's the picture. Uh, Jesus, Jesus says, he who does not has eternal death, 314. In 3.14, he wrote, We behold and bear witness that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's the only way. The only way. We receive the gift of life, the quality, and the duration because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. 3.24, he wrote, As for you, let that which you heard from the beginning abide in you, and that which you heard from the uh, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And then in in five twenty, we will be looking at next week. He says this, and we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true, and and, and we are in Him who is true in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. That's the picture that he paints for us as we go through this text. As, as we come down to the conclusion when he's going to tell us, this is why I wrote that you would know who the Son is. And in knowing the Son, we have life eternal. If we have the Son, we have the Father. If we have the Son, we have the Father and the Holy Spirit. And God has given us ample testimony to who Jesus is. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's close. Father God, we thank you this morning as we've looked at this text. We ask, Father, that uh, your spirit would use us to convince us uh, of who you are, if there is anyone who doesn't know, uh, that we would understand fully that there is no doubt about our salvation, there is no doubt about our future, uh, that you and your grace through your love, by your mercy, have redeemed us, have saved us, have placed us in your family. We are indeed your children and we cannot be torn away from you. And Father, we would just give you thanks, and we give you praise for that understanding, and we just ask, Father, that the rest of our morning would be spent glorifying your name as we worship together, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.